Welcome to the Antler VC Cast. Antler is a global early stage VC investing in the world's most exceptional people who are building the groundbreaking tech companies of tomorrow. I'm Pooja Barwani, and together with UC Salavara, we host the Antler VC Cast, a show dedicated to learning from the best in the global tech and VC ecosystem. In the series called Stories of Exceptional People, we speak to founders, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders in the tech and business world. We discuss building and scaling startups, unique investment approaches, tech trends, entrepreneurship mindsets, fundraising, and so much more. Today we have with us Piers Linney, an investor and entrepreneur from the UK who is best known for being a dragon on the BBC's Dragon's Den series. Dragon's Den is the UK's equivalent of America's Shark Tank. In November 2018, Piers was among the top 20 on a list of the top 100 minority ethnic leaders in technology. This list was curated by the Financial Times. Welcome to the show, Piers, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. I want to There's so many things I want to talk to you about today, and I, I I was reading up about, you know, how you've been termed the champion of entrepreneurship. So, you know, tell me about how you know you you got this term. What were some of the pivotal moments that happened in your life that that have led to this? Yeah, I'm not sure where you read that. <laughs> um, so I, um, well, I says more recently, I've also I'm actually on the board of British Business Bank as well, to, which is uh, the UK's largest investor in uh, small and high growth businesses now, but. My, it's been a long journey, so I'll, I'll do the short version. So I grew up in the north of England, a place called Lancashire. I went to a very small town, very small school. It wasn't a particularly great school, and I, I was always, always interested in business. So my first business was a disintermediate, disintermediating the local paper, paper shop, and delivering papers on Sunday and getting them from the wholesaler myself. And I learned in that very, very small business um, how to, you know. Build a business, win customers, earn some margins, revenues, and that's how I kind of cut my teeth with. Really. And since then, I've I've always have been in business. So when I was doing my A levels, I was uh, doing door to door sales of like you know Tupperware and things like that, Betterware. And then at university, I was doing you know parties. And then at law school, I was forming companies. And when I was at Credit Suisse, I was in the film finance business. So I always had the kind of the side hustle they call it now. They didn't call it that then. But over time, my interest in in the process almost, and also investing, starting businesses, and some of them became quite big. And the, one of those days that you always remember, where you just think, you know what, I can do a better job than management, and you sort of step into a business, and you stop becoming the investor, and you start becoming um, an operator. But my background though is is professional, so I'm actually a venture capital lawyer by training. I qualified, left law pretty quickly. Joined Credit Suisse when it was Credit Suisse First Boston, specialised in mergers and acquisitions, cross-border and leverage buyouts. And my first business was doing the dot-com first dot-com wave. So I kind of literally, and my mum to this day still says to me, "When are you going to go? I'm going to go back and get a proper job." I literally <laughs> used that Credit Suisse for my bonus and uh, started a dot-com essentially just before the crash. So that was an interesting time as well. And then um, I went into, made my first money in finance, hedge funds. I was trying to do SPACs in 2004 with UBS. <laughs> Didn't quite pull it off, but I got to learn about all the funds and the hedge funds. And I started bringing US hedge fund money to Europe, basically, for private for sort of special situations and pipes, private investment and public equity. And then since then, I've always been involved in sort of technology 
some media, communications, and the combination of the two. And I'm actually now in the process of starting a new business called Moblox, which is focused on yes. um, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and um, not just small businesses. People might have aspirations to become big businesses, but helping small businesses embrace technology to become more productive. Fantastic. I think uh, venture capital uh, law kind of is definitely a real job, but I'm, I'm glad for you that you left it. You know, I've worked with a lot of those guys and I don't envy them. So <laughs> it's very hard good. in law. You, you get locked in, you, you become a, you do a few years, you start seeing partnership on the horizon. So you don't leave, you become a partner, you've got a nice life and you never leave. That's right. That's right. It's always uh, carrot like, uh, you know, over the next fence you have to climb, but then you're, you're part of this weird, weird, you know, wheel where, that you never get out of. Right. Um, so, you know, we have a, we have a global audience and I think, you know, uh, I think a lot of people will be keen to hear more about this dragons than experience as well. So let's get it out of the way. Right. Um, so, you know, can you just, uh, cover like how you, how you were invited to be part of that and, and what was that experience like? I'll tell, I'll tell you a story how I got into that. So my first, so I was doing, I, I was a role model for the government asked me to be a role model back in 2008 for, um, and I do a lot in diversity. I'm on the diversity advisory council for Sky across Europe. And I was sort of um, being a mentor, really sort of a, a virtual mentor for young black men and boys, basically. And through that, I had a profile, I had a business doing about 45 million in revenue, employed about 200 people in the kind of a telecom space. And I was approached to be a secret millionaire, which people forget about. Now, if you're not in the UK, you probably don't remember this program, but 2011, I was a secret millionaire and I actually went to prison for a week almost. That's what it showed in the program, at least. And, uh, and just, just to show you, I actually met a very young, a young lad in there, 19, got 11 years for some quite serious offences. I brought him out, trained him as an IT support um, guy, became an IT contractor. He texted me yesterday, still in touch with him. He's just got a new job offer of 70K a year. So he's now earning more than me. So anyway, different story. I, I digress. Wow. <laughs> so um, I then, because of that, the researchers were looking for someone to join Dragon's Den, which is Shark Tank in other countries. And I tick lots of boxes, let's face it, in terms of my background, my, my ethnicity, my story, my journey. And they approached me and I, was, I wasn't sure whether to do it or not. You know, being on TV, I had a, I had a taste of it. And um, Secret Millionaire was quite different because it came and went. It was a one-off. This was a whole series of multiple years. I wasn't too sure. So at the time, I'd uh, contributed to Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Unite charity. And I was actually, I just landed with him on this turboprop in Ulusaba, his private game reserve <laughs> in the Kruger National Park in South Africa. So I've got these producers chasing me on the phone saying, are you going to join Dragon's Den? Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? I, can, I don't know. Who can I ask that can advise me on how you combine being an entrepreneur and business with the media and what are the pros and what are the cons and obvious answer was <laughs> yes, and this is all reason. absolutely true and I, I said to him he said are you okay and I go yeah I've got this like issue can I have a can I ask you or something because yes so we sat down with a, a literally a corona beer and uh cut a long story short he said um you know the media is extremely powerful he used to get on a plane you know for a decent news spot he said, so, you know, you should do it. You, you know, you'd be good at it. You, you, you'd bring something new to the program. And he said, you know, screw it, just do it, as you would expect him to do. And I said, okay, thank you for that. And I kind of began to pick up my beer to wander off. And he said, come back, ring them right now. And I said, well, what do you mean? So he actually made me ring the producer there and then and say, I'm in. <laughs> 
And that's my story of how I ended up on Dragon Den. I think you got some really good advice. So it's basically an invitation only. Like you you can't apply to become no, a den. Apply, a no, okay. No. All right. Awesome. And and I saw I saw uh, one of your episodes, but and I was it was really interesting to see this particular one I saw you were the only one who wanted to invest. It was this Indian couple who were creating this um, healthy mix to sell uh, for food. So, sorry? Vinny and Bao. Yes, correct. And they asked for 50,000 pounds. And I, I wanted to ask you, you know, why did you choose to invest? And has this happened a lot where because of maybe, like you said, your, your background and your um, uh, lens, uh, so to speak, has that happened a lot? Where the rest of the dragons don't want to invest, and 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 you do, and uh, is, um, is that something that that you know what what is it that that gives you that unique insight and makes you want to invest sometimes in in these companies? Well, I think you know, you are you know, you are your experiences, a combination of them over time. So I've got a different um, experience to lots of other the dragons at the time. But I think I don't think so much about say Vinnie and Bell, and I'm actually still in touch with Vinnie and Bell. And that business uh, it struggled a bit. We got it onto the shelves, but the the, the supermarkets didn't quite know where to put fresh Indian um, sauce. They put it with the pasta sauces. It was there was no category for fresh Indian sauces. It was all you know kind of heavily processed um, stuff, full of um, sort of awful ingredients, basically and preservatives. So they kind of struggled a bit, to be honest with you. But I'm, I'm still in touch with them. Um, I'd, I'd say on the program. The thing that I did first, I would say, is tech. So I'd say that, you know, the, my lens was not so much about because someone happens to be Indian or from an ethnic minority. I was the first person, I would say, to do a real tech deal where some, some entrepreneurs walked out. There were three, four Israelis guys, and they'd also they'd always had a term sheet from a, you know, a VC fund, a smaller one at the time, but I kind of knew it. And you know, they knew what they were talking about, their PhDs, and they had a beautiful product. And I didn't ask them for 50% of their company for £20,000. I did a deal where it was £100,000 for, I think it was sort of 5%. It was a bit of a negotiation. It was 5% in the end. And I kind of said, look, they said 4%. I said 5%. I said, what about 4% with some options? And they were like, oh, we don't know. We don't know. And he said, let's try and do a deal offline. And back in the green room, and the dragons basically sort of laughed at me really saying, that's not what the program's about. You know, it's not about that kind of deal and that deal's never going to happen. You can't really have a handshake on TV if you haven't done the deal. And that was, that, that was lost my name. That was Wonderbly. That's the company in which Google invested. It's turning over uh, tens of millions now. It's delivered over, <laughs> it's delivered a pile of books, which I calculated once with six miles high over 200 different countries. Wow. And it's a success story and it'll be a tech, a tech, company that exits and i think that'll be the first real technology whoever you want to define that investment on dragons then where you got a sensible piece of the action and they built it and we exited and i have two of those personalized books with my kids names and i've given ah, gifts so <laughs> i had no idea it was a dragons den no yeah no uh, it's a great company. story <laughs> people don't realize that but that, i think that was my lens it was more about the you know, lots of dragons investing people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of stories. But um, but Vinny and Belle, they were very much about the fact it was Vinny really actually about her mum's uh, sauce that she'd she'd sort of brought here and uh, created a version of it that could be sold at scale. But you know, you never know with businesses, um, and, and they're still actually at it in in a way, um, still working on businesses. So it's it's not often, you know, sometimes and um, uh, you know, as an as an investor, you will back people where it doesn't work out but you'll back them again because you know that they had a hypothesis. It's what entrepreneurs shouldn't be afraid of. 
you know, our, our investors, if they know what they're doing, you present them with a hypothesis and, and then understand the risk and you test the hypothesis and it works or it doesn't. And if it works, you, you've got that product market fit or whatever you want to do, however you want to call it, you can then scale it. Fantastic. If you can't achieve that and you can't pivot or do something else with the resources you've got, it doesn't work out and you move on to the next thing. It doesn't mean that entrepreneurs are failure. It just means that that particular idea they had couldn't quite find the market. Therefore, you may back them again for the next one because you could see that the execution wasn't the issue. And that's, I think, something that, you know, you see quite often, something that I'm, you know, the, the Vinny and Bell story is one where, you know, I've, I've been helping them to this day. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and one thing's for sure, sure, which is that you definitely learn in those early days of trying to build a business as an entrepreneur. We're, we're very big into backing serial entrepreneurs, whether or not they succeeded or failed in the previous uh, endeavor. Um, one thing that's always when you think about sort of Shark's Tank or in this case, Dragon's Den, you, you kind of visualize these uh, super nervous entrepreneurs pitching for a panel of dragons, etc. I wanted to ask you, are you, gonna be, are you nervous in that situation where you're the dragon? Uh, or are you in your comfort zone? Just tell us a bit about the psyche of the dragon. So yeah, nerves and self-confidence are not something I've really had a problem with <laughs> throughout my life. Um, <laughs> I think probably why I'm sitting here talking to you to some extent. Um, so so Dragon's Den is an interesting one because people often say to me, you know, what was it like? And, you know, were you prepped? And do you know what's going to come out? And is it is it sort of, you know, is it rigged, basically? And it isn't. So literally, right. I met the producers. They did a quick sort of screen test to make sure I didn't have a complete meltdown with the camera pointed at me. But I'd done TV before, so that wasn't going to happen. And then after that, I turned up at the studios in this was in Manchester where they film it. And uh, and you walk into the set, I had a bit of makeup because I clearly needed some. And then they sat me down between um, Deborah and Peter and the, and the lift opens and the first entrepreneurs walk out and start pitching. That was it. There was no right. run up to it. The cameras keep rolling. And what you see is probably on a program, if it's a long version, 12 minutes maybe. If it's a short snippet where they were showing you before the break, it might be three minutes. But those, you know, if you think about, you've got four, you've got a pitch that's set up, a couple of minutes to do that. You've got you know five different people asking questions. It might be you know, five, 10 minutes a question. It's already up to 45 minutes. So if they're interesting, they can be there being grilled for up to two hours. So set an average an hour, maybe hour, hour and a half. But, you know, that's how long they're there. You only see 12 minutes. So the point is, I'm, I'm getting to, is that the producers then, the editors have to make it interesting, make it televisual. And you know, as well as I do, that most of business is not televisual. <laughs> you know, sitting here, I've, today I've been talking to my team about the employee handbook, you know, the pension setup, what should, what should our benefits look like, all this kind of stuff. And you know, most people would turn over and watch something else on the other side. So they have to find a story and you might see on the program that, you know, peers have decided not to invest because, you know, um, whoever it may be, has not, doesn't know their numbers or didn't understand the difference between a trademark and a patent. And then, and, and they might be crying because they're, you know, they're, they haven't seen their children for 10 years and their partner left them. That's not why I didn't invest. I didn't invest because they've asked me to invest for a ridiculous valuation for a small part of a Canadian based um, subsidiary of a, that's running a franchise. Why the hell would you invest in that? And that's the real reason, but they might show something else. So 
to make it interesting. And that's the hard thing. I think Dragon's Den does it well. It makes that process, you know, as interesting to watch as it possibly can be on TV. Um, and they don't stray away from reality. But the reason you didn't invest or invested sometimes could be lost in the mix. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, switch topics to uh, more uh, modern thing, if you will, uh, at least when it comes to your life. Uh, you mentioned Moblox, the new business you're building. Um, tell us a bit about that. Sounds uh, very exciting. So essentially, there's a huge issue that small businesses, they can be startups, established small businesses, they're not as productive as they should be because they're not capable or able to embrace technology. Massive issue. It's lots of research on it. It's baked into the government's industrial strategy, even it's that bad. And the point is, is that, you know, when I started out a few years ago, you had a local IT provider or your comms provider and they helped you set, stand all this stuff up and they supported you and you paid them to do that good money and they could earn a living out of it. The cloud has killed that. So now you have, I'm sure you've got, you know, people at Antler, they're starting a business. They might be great in terms of engineering and software engineers, but they have no idea really how to stand up a business and automate it. Because, you know, small businesses and entrepreneurs, they're time poor, they don't really understand their options, and therefore they're not embracing the, the explosion of technology that's out there that actually is designed specifically in most cases and should be used by smaller businesses. And what's amazing, what amazes me, large enterprises per head are embracing and using this new technology more than small businesses. It makes no sense whatsoever. So what I'm trying to do is, is look at that market, which I used to be in actually, and say, how do we change up this market? And I, I liken it very much to the neobanks. So the neobanks, think of, you know, in the UK, you know, your Revolute, your Monzo, your Tide, your Starlings, they use existing infrastructure, you know, banking infrastructure. I'm using in this case sort of um, telecoms infrastructure, networking infrastructure. There was this customer experience delivered like it was stuck in the 1990s, uh, ripping people off, charging them too much, not listening to them, telling them well, how they can and can't do things. They replaced that with the neobanks and created a, a new customer experience and have attracted a huge amount of customers. The same can the same can be done in this market as well in telecoms. And also small businesses, they are most most services that are provided to them. They're not designed for them. The big service providers, they are very good at uh, consumer at scale. They're quite good at big businesses because they'll send around a sales rep in a BMW to look after them. But the small business is lost and they're often treated like consumers. So I want to change that game completely. And I'm starting with all with going through all the services, literally. Some are going to be in a marketplace where we will create services and the secret is the content. It's about offering one-to-many content to help you understand what you should be using, what's available to, to you, what your options are, what you should purchase, how you deploy it, and how you manage it. And eventually, the idea is you can manage your whole business on the Moblox platform. Now, we're starting with, we partner with BTE as well, some quite big partners. And where those services are just not up to scratch, and I can't look in the market and see a service provider that I think is doing what they should do, should be doing for small businesses and entrepreneurs, we will reimagine, we will re-engineer that service ourselves. We will rebuild it from scratch, designed specifically to deliver value for a small business owner. And that's what Moblox is about. 
That's very interesting. So it's a platform for small businesses to basically embrace technology and automate themselves. Because yeah. some things are not always software. It might be, how do I access a database of precedence for employment contracts? Okay. Uh, it's not really software. It's, it's, a, it's a modern business tool. So it's, it's tech and tools. That's what the platform's for. And the idea and, eventually yeah. is to you know, take this if it works and roll it out globally. Because the same issue, it's the same in the US, same issue. You think it's the same in the US? It's not a problem that's unique. It's the same issue in the US. You go to big service providers, you talk to them about small businesses, then you know they're, they're equally as badly served. I mean, my chairman, you know, was on the board of some very large businesses, including US ones, and um, and one that actually was just sold to a very large um, US-based social media business. He understands the US probably better than the UK. That's one of the reasons that he invested as well. So the the problems the same in North America, Australia, South Africa, Europe, um, UAE. If the model works here, it'll work there because basically what we're building really is an a sort of an acquisition and retention platform. But in the UK, it's it, it's a mission. It's not just a business. This, this is brings together everything I I know, everything I've done, all my interests, all the things you mentioned that I've championed is bringing it together to improve. Basically, what we're trying to do is make small business and entrepreneurs make more money and reduce costs. And what's in the middle is profit, income, or just more time to go and walk your dog. So free up their time to do quality things and scale, yeah. obviously. And you're, yeah. you're planning Make to do money. this globally as well, starting in the, in the UK. Start in the UK, get it right, then roll it out. Okay. Right. How, how far along are you with building this? I mean, you're already offering it to customers in the UK? No, or? no not at all. No. It's taking me 18 months to do the deal with the big service providers, big companies. Um, we just closed out our pre-seed. Well, we, just, we did the pre-seed and now I'm doing the seed financing. Um, a lot of it's from sort of people from the sector that understand it. Um, the other point about the sector is, is that most of this stuff is sold by, you know, your local dealer, whoever it might be, who, you know, my view, if you can buy a Tesla online these days in four clicks, you've got a hundred thousand pound car in your shopping basket. You can buy all of this stuff either directly or through people you know and trust. So a lot of it is going to be building a partner, a partner program as well. So we're going to close the um, the seed probably in the next six weeks or so. And then we're going, we started the build, so the development, but a huge amount of work in refining the, because, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and like me, you can probably hear it in my voice. I get excited and you, know, you can get shiny object syndrome, but it's been great to pull this team together, uh, which is you know, the key to all of this, as you know, and actually refine what it is. The world doesn't need another place, another community for small business owners and entrepreneurs to go and, you know, complain about the weather or what was in the budget. We are solely laser focused on tech and tools. And that's what, and so we'll probably launch it probably late this year, early, very early next year, depending. And then I intend to crowdfund it. I'm also very interested in raising finance from, I want, I want my customers, I want people in the community the customers don't necessarily to be a customer to be in the community and the shareholders to some extent to be the same people. And that's really important to be to have that overlap. And then eventually we're a current recurring revenue business, as you'll be aware of. There's lots of other ways of, you know, raising finance now, you know, your clear banks, your pipe.coms as a, and then maybe we'll look at a um, venture to roll out globally. Mm. Nice. And I think it'll all be accelerated. Well, there's no one else doing it. There's no one's doing this space. It doesn't exist. Because most people are the incumbents, the people in the space, they've got too much to protect. And I think it's as it's as big as the neobank space. You know, it's as big. There's many customers. You're not as, not as regulated. You don't need 300 million pounds to uh, build these things. And it actually makes money, generates margin pretty quickly. 
and like obviously because of uh, COVID and digital acceleration, this obviously seems like the right time. People are going to jump on trying to understand, especially this group of people. Yeah, the time. Already, it's already been a problem. So I think I think in terms of timing, but do you do you think you know? Uh, how has COVID-19 in a way affected your, you, you, you had this idea even before you said this, this, this thesis or this issue was, uh, this has been an issue for a while. How, how has it, if in any way changed your outlook towards building your company or, you know, to, to life in general and how, how you invest? Well, I, I took some time out. So, you know, I've done things in the past and I was, I was um, thinking of what do I do next? You know, what rather than, you know, we started Atherton Bikes. You know, we've crowdfunded that last year, which is um, with the Athertons, the world champion mountain bikers. It's my passion as well when I get to ride the things. And we crowdfunded a 1.4 million and we make, you know, 3D printed titanium and titanium and carbon high-end mountain bikes. It's fantastic. I was like, what does Piers do next? You know, the big one, you know, I've made money over the years, but I wanted, I want to build a unicorn basically. And I was kind of like, right. And I looked at very, I looked at wellbeing and I was quite systematic about looks at various markets. And um, I was doing a podcast with Nat West actually. And I, I don't know if you'll hear this, but Julian Calade, who's one of the founders of made.com who I saw floated on the, uh, on the stock market um, earlier this week or last week. And I was doing a podcast with him for a bank and he kind of asked me afterwards, well, what are you doing now? I said, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at that. And he said, what's your background? And I said, no, I did this. this. He said, you know, do what you know. And I kind of thought the yeah. advice I always give to people is path of least resistance sometimes is just do what you know. And he said it to me and I thought, you know what, he's right. <laughs> so with that in my mind, I then went to meet a friend of mine and I said, how are you making money in this sector now with small businesses? And he basically said, we're ripping them off. And I said, well, the world's got to change. And that's where the idea came from. I think in terms of covid it gave me, um, in, in a, you know, two, two sides of the coin for me in COVID. One was it gave me some space to think and to talk to people and to, and to refine the model and bring people together, which was great, actually. It's quite hard to meet people because, you know, you do, I think you do need to meet people at some point. But that, that was good. I'm, I'm on the board of British Business Bank currently. So you can imagine that, you know, the bounce back loan scheme, coronavirus business interruption loan scheme, the future fund all these schemes were put together in the course, you know, a few months. So I spent you know, almost every day, almost on a, on a call uh, with the board of British business bank, going through these schemes and approving them and getting them set up. And which was a huge amount of work. Now that was all, that was fantastic. You felt as though you were actually doing something and giving something back and helping, uh, you know, the, this is the, this is the UK, um, if you're in the US, it'd be like the kind of pay tech protection program. So to give you an idea, we'd, we'd facilitated um, 8 billion, about 8 billion of investment into UK small and high growth businesses. Now, a year later, we're up to 90 billion, just to give you an idea. So that's wow. what I spent a lot of my time doing as well. So it's kind of that, do my bit for the taxpayer. And also there was kind of a refining my business plan. Um, so it, it was a you know, and then it was kind of a, a difficult time watching a lot of my friends in business as well and trying to support them. You know, I've got people in hospitality where the wheels fell off, you know, some didn't make it. I know people that were absolutely killing it. They couldn't get, you know, their business grew by probably threefold. So a lot of people I know in business, I was sort of on the phone to them, supporting them, both trying to protect them from the, the downside, but also trying to help them deal with growth, which we know that growth can be, just as complicated and as risky as a startup sometimes. Growth can be painful. So it was constructive yet reflect you had a reflectful year. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you, you wanted to build somewhere where 
you know, in an area that you know. And I think it's also super important to have a passionate connection to what you're working with because you know if you don't have that passion you're much more likely to you know quit when the times are tough etc so you know that that passion is is super important um speaking of passion another topic you have passion for as you mentioned is diversity right so you know what what is the situation like in in the uk uh right now i mean you you mentioned you're a champion of diversity so where, where do we stand right now uh, in the UK and more broadly as well. You're going to need a much longer podcast. <laughs> um, so, so what's interesting is a lot of, so there's diversity, there's lots of different levels and inclusion as well. You know, diversity doesn't always mean uh, people are included. So let me give you an idea. So British Business Bank, <clears throat> again, they uh, commissioned some research on the um, availability of finance to black and Asian minority ethnic entrepreneurs, essentially. And a lot of this, a lot of what I, when I talk about diversity and access to capital, and uh, I don't see people like me and in, in, in VCs or people, you know, raising money from VCs, it's kind of anecdotal. And for the first time, a couple of pieces of research came out. So British Business Bank had the Alone Together research report. And if I can paint a picture of this, it basically was that, you know, BAME, that's the acronym, entrepreneurs in the UK, especially this was focused on, they start as many businesses, they invest more money, they're better educated, they spend more time on their businesses, but their outcomes are worse invariably than their, in this case, the, the white counterparts, basically. So I liken this to, you've got a hundred meter race, right? You're standing in your, in your um, lane, looking down it. You've got your people next to you racing against. You've got the same prep. You've got the same physique. You're, you're all as capable as each other. You then realize in your lane that there's hurdles. You're like, oh, okay. Then you're asked to start 20 meters back behind everybody else. You're like, right. Okay, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna give it a go. Entrepreneurs don't stop because it's raining. There's a few hurdles. We all know that. Mm. So the the, the 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 gun goes off. You start running. You then realise you're just trying to clear these hurdles. There's a load of invisible hurdles, and that's the race you're running. It's the invisible hurdles that are the big problem. Now, if you're a woman, you're asked to start 50 meters back, and there's even more invisible hurdles. So that's how I sort of picture the race trying, and that's got to change. Um, that's just not you know there shouldn't be. Um, there's a visible hurdle shouldn't be there. And, and the issues are, I can boil it down, I think, to two things. One is social capital. One is financial capital. Access to social capital is hard to fix because that can be generational. Who are you? Where did you grow up? What did your parents do? Who do you know? What's your network? How much do you earn? What, did you, what job did you have before you started your business? You know, have you got some savings? That kind of stuff. Financial capital can also be, who do you know? Have you got the confidence? Do you understand the markets? Do you understand venture, startup, the process, what you need to do? And of course, your access to financial capital is often inextricably linked with your social capital. Because, you know, when I came out of my school in the north of England, I didn't have a clue about the city or finance, but I, I learned the ropes as a VC lawyer and at Credit Suisse. I could talk a talk. I could put a presentation together. I could be, be investor ready and go and pitch. Whereas a lot of entrepreneurs wouldn't have a clue where to start. I think that's not for me. And then another um, interesting piece of research was done by, um, I remember the name now, um, Extend Ventures. That's I wanted to remember the name. And, and they use machine learning and, and actually computer vision. And what they did, and I'll probably get this right, they got these computer vision to look at um, VC press releases and announcements and the names. And they use, they use machine learning to teach the um, algorithm to 
recognize race essentially like, like a person would and i guess there's a bias in there somewhere and then they look at the photos in the pr and say okay this person did this deal and i think they're of this ethnic um back- background this heritage and that went in and then it turned out that um only i think in the uk 0.2 percent of venture capital money went to um, BAME entrepreneurs. And the most horrifying stat that came out of that was that only one black woman had raised a series A round in the last decade in the UK. So I could go on, <laughs> but that, wow. that paints a picture of, uh, of the capital markets, which we need to change because my view is, is that, you know, the top of societies look like the same. Everyone should have a fair shot at, you know, being the best they possibly can and absolutely at building a business. I think the world's moving to a point where we're all going to be in business. The idea of employment's disappearing. So whether it's gig economy or zero contracts or having a small collective or starting a business, that's where the world's going. And having not having access to fair access to capital is a huge hindrance on that process. And therefore, in the long run, on fairness and equality in society, in the economy. And the last point I'll make is, and I will shut up, is that you were, we are therefore leaving wherever we are. I know you're in Finland and I'm in the UK. Wherever we are, we are leaving a huge amount of, of value on the table in terms of not absolutely wringing all the potential out of the people that form part of the society in which we live. Well, that was, uh, you're clearly very passionate about it. And you talked about so many things there, hurdles. Um, I think one of the things that really, is that resonates everywhere is both sides of the table when you talk about you know who's deciding where the capital goes but we're slowly seeing decentralization like you say in 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 every industry so you know um and i think it's going to happen with capital as well where you know even in asia like when uh you know i meet some of the entrepreneurs when we used to go to back in the day when we used to travel to indonesia and we used to present antler people you'd meet you'd meet these amazing indonesian entrepreneurs who didn't even know that you could access capital this way and that's exactly what you know needs to be done in terms of uh the information needs to be spread the opportunities need to be given so i think a long way to go but i f- i almost feel like some of the numbers you gave in 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 what is considered developed in the uk are really quite surprising yeah i know it's it's, um, it's pretty bad in the us but i don't think it's quite as bad but that, that's the first research. So, yeah, there were things being done about it. There were funds that, um, you know, are set up to, yes. you know, back underrepresented entrepreneurs. But I, I think eventually, and um, let's not go off on a big um, discussion about, you know, yes. DeFi, <laughs> but uh, I think eventually you, you will see that, uh, especially as you move to more, towards more recurring revenue business or at best reoccurring revenue. It's not quite the same. It's not contractual, but you can model it then you are moving to a point where you can almost democratize and it will be systems and algorithms that deploy capital as opposed to people that come from a particular kind of background that happen to work in, um, you know, institutional financing and funds. And that's what we're going to see happening. And they may get down the road where, you know, I think we're a long way away from it, yeah, where those algorithms are really are decentralized and you are in the world of decentralized finance. So that's not going to work in every case, you know, in venture, you're not always going to have recurring revenues. You're going to have a long period of time before you can even generate them. Therefore, you are really looking at the team and the opportunity. So it will always be a role for venture. But I think that we need to change what venture looks like, exactly as you said, on both sides of the coin. Yeah, it's it's capital should be sort of a, a fuel to to 
help the the engine that is actually the 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 company to grow and and you know move ahead instead of being a sort of purpose on itself in a way capital what is capital capital is nothing capital is just a tool well, it right? should be a commodity and, and that research i was going for you know about the running race what that shows you is is that you know if you look at it simply simplistically the people that are potentially better placed and work harder don't they don't get access to the capital so there's something broken right. that yeah, exactly. But how do you, I mean, you're an obviously a seasoned investor, right? How do you make sure you, there are no biases in your thinking? Because this is, this is obviously really one bias. of the key. Yeah. I mean, we've all got bias. I'm sure I've got, I've got my own bias. Um, I'm probably biased more towards perhaps nature of me to the, the kind of underdog or I wouldn't say particularly um, people have come from ethnic minority backgrounds, although I'm definitely more willing to probably listen to them than most other people. But at the end mm. of the day, you, I, I will, my, my network and my reach will include more people from more diverse backgrounds. So I kind of see more deals that, with those kind of founders. But then, you know, it does boil down to, okay, am I going to invest? Where's this going? And can I lose my money? <laughs> so then you do, you might, you know, right. no one's saying that everyone should get a, a free ride. What you should be getting is a, is a fair shot. They're completely different things. Mm. Right. Okay. I, I always wonder if we need positive discrimination, if 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 that's really needed to kind of get it going in the short term. But but I mean maybe maybe that's a whole discussion uh, okay. itself. Well, you, you, you well you can kind. It's not positive discrimination, but you are seeing that you know, capital is being deployed in ways and in funds that are more focused on this issue. But I think if you get down to quotas, for example, things like you end up with a law. I think of unintended consequences i think you know right. so in my view is it's like it's like any system isn't it work out what's broken uh social capital financial capital how do you fix it can you synthesize it so financial capital to some extent you, you can synthesize 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 it i'm gonna say it and because then you can actually you know begin to pressure on the market to deploy it in different ways social capital is much harder i mean Give you an example. So, um, startup loans company, which is um, I can't remember the exact numbers now, but it's up to the 800, 800 million, I think, invested. That provides um, loans to individuals to start businesses. You can even have a bit of a, you know, a, a, a not particularly great credit history. And what that does, in a way, is synthesizes the capital you have. If you had a great job and you've got some savings, or your family have got some money, it's that first, you know, the average, the average loan is about seven thousand two hundred pounds. Although you can, you can borrow up to 25,000. It's that first bit of capital that just lets you just leave your job or just test something or build a prototype. And that can be the difference between, you know, starting a business and not. So that's one way of synthesizing it. But that has to be, and it does have um, government support to make it work because in the market, it wouldn't work because of the, the, the loss rate is probably too high. Yeah, I mean, and we we certainly believe in diversity as a value. I mean, we've Antler has made more than two hundred and fifty investments, venture investments, and you know, more than fifty nationalities represented. And quite proud of the stats that we have. Actually, forty one percent of our portfolio companies has at least one female co-founder. So, uh, I feel yeah, like that was great. I mean, I've, I've been to your office in uh, in uh, in London and uh, went to one of your sessions there actually. And it was quite interesting talking to a lot of the founders there who, you know, the founder, co-founder. But the point is, you're, you're, what you're doing is to some extent is trying to allow people to have that space to at least try, even before they know what they're doing, which is fascinating. 
That, that's yep. the idea. Exactly. They'll, they'll, they'll find the right way. It's all, uh, you met yeah, so, so, so in, in a way, I mean, it's probably, you probably find it just as hard as anyone else to get, you know, really, really reach out because it is about networks. But in a way, if you're going down to that level, then there are fewer barriers. You, have, you, you may have started exactly. running, as I alluded to earlier, but you've only got three, four meters into it. So you haven't hit that many hurdles yet. <laughs> no, that's that's true. We 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 try to reduce the the number of hurdles for sure. I'm gonna um, ask you one last question before we end. Uh, you gave some really good advice. Do what you know uh, to entrepreneurs and and get involved with that. Is there are there and is there any other advice that you'd like to give entrepreneurs who are just starting out and taking the leap? So I think that um, I said earlier that everyone essentially is going to become an entrepreneur. I think we're all going to end up working for ourselves within a generation. And, uh, you know, the the entrepreneur, the, the small business as well, they're the backbone of any economy. They created most economies. And, you know, we are the, we are the, the kind of tool in which most uh, economies are going to use to climb out of the hole that we find ourselves in. So my advice to anyone who's thinking of starting a business is this, is, is do it. You know, do, don't, you know, you don't have to sort of, jump out of a great career but just think about how you how you can start a business how you can try how you can dip your toe in the water and do it and try and what you will find is you'll make a lot of mistakes a lot of things will go wrong but you will always learn and eventually you will find the ability be it the right timing the confidence access to the capital the right idea to perhaps step out of your your the life you're sort of feel may perhaps too comfortable in to try something that can be life-changing. And the point is, when you're young, I'm 50 now. That was the only, the only upside of my 50th birthday this year was getting an early vaccine. <laughs> but that, well, I'm 50 now. So even now, I have to I have to force myself to take more risk. And I think you know, when you're, and I'm not particularly risk, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm take on risk quite happily, but when you're younger, in your 20s or 30s, you know, embrace risk and take risk. You know, take into account your personal finances, those that you love around you but embrace it and, and, and use that period of time in your life to absolutely go out there and try and change the world. As you get older and you get more baggage, it can be harder. What's interesting, I think, I think it was right, actually, the average tech entrepreneur now is in their 40s, I find quite interesting. And, maybe, and it's also said that, that's, that, is the, that that is the best age. The optimum age for entrepreneurship is 45. There was a global survey that right, was Okay, done. so I'm not, yeah. I'm not too far off then. I may, I may have missed it slightly. But I, I think when you're younger, though, that's when you learn. So when you, get, when you get to your 40s, you really have the ability to execute. You've maybe got some money behind you and the ability to really go at it. So... I think you know there's you know there's places like Antler that can support you, but go out there and, and give it a go. And I think it can be life changing. It can be very hard work, but test. As I said earlier, test your hypothesis. Don't be afraid of fa- failure. Make sure investors come into it at a wide open. You do as well. Test it, and and if it doesn't work out, go again. Because eventually, most people I know that are successful, it's their second, third, even fourth business that really makes them. Awesome. So as Branson said, screw it, just do it. So you heard it right here. <laughs> Take the leap. And uh, thank you so much, Piers, for joining us today and uh, sharing your story and giving us advice for entrepreneurs that are taking the leap. Thank you for inviting me. I hope I get an invite to come back again. You have been listening to the Antler VC cast with me, Pooja Marwani and UC Salovara. Antler is a global VC firm headquartered in Singapore with 14 locations globally, and we are growing. 
To learn more about Antler, our portfolio companies and our philosophy, visit us at www.antler.co or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Antler Global. Thank you for listening.